welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. You guys have um, what I call pastor goals. Come on, somebody. <laughs> man, you have uh, pastor goals. Here's what I'll tell you, man. Just in uh, my time just kind of coming and hanging with the uh, Pastor Brian, I can, I can straight up tell you guys, and this isn't me tapping into the prophetic or anything, you have the best pastor. I'm talking about the very best pastor within a five-mile radius of this place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anywhere outside of that, I don't want to make a liar out of myself, but uh, no, in all honesty, listen, um, honor is both the currency and the culture of the kingdom, and it's a tangible thing. And when you step into spaces where God's kingdom resides right where his jurisdiction is actually upon a specific place you feel it it's nothing that they have to say or conjure you just walk into it and this preceded every interaction Haley just the excellence that kind of comes up from there in him just every interaction come on my boy Seth over that dude's a Jedi with the sound the force is strong with that one but I've genuinely just really felt like um I was at home here so I just want to say hey you guys have genuinely have an incredible thing here in your leadership. And it's such an honor for me to be here. So if you don't mind, can we just uh, honor your pastors uh, with me real quick for everything that they do in the name of Jesus. All right. Now, my name is Reward Sabanda. Everybody say Sabanda. Sabanda. Now, I know that you can tell from the accent in that name that that is not a Dallas name where the upper room is and where my wife and I are currently based and are on the team there. No, that's from Zimbabwe. All right. That's about 500 miles uh, north of that and about 10,000 miles east of that. When you get to Wakanda and you hang a left, <laughs> Zimbabwe is right there. But, uh, but real quick, some great basic rules of engagement that I want you guys to understand so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but African people, Zimbabweans specifically, love response. Everybody say response. So that means I am a hollaback preacher. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I like y'all. This is my house right here. But, but, but however you get down, you don't have to tone it down to come into your father's house. You know what I'm saying? However you get down, you do you, boo-boo. That's where we're at right now. So I really um, would love to have a conversation. I feel the freedom of the spirit in this place, and I'm really, really excited uh, about that. Now, whenever we get the incredible privilege of sharing the word of God in any context, right, there's two ways that, basically, the one thing that we always aim for that we've been entrusted with is transformation. Everybody say transformation. transformation. So people communicate differently, right? There's preachers and then there's teachers, right? So preachers achieve transformation through inspiration. That's preachers, Right? I mean, they speak to the core of who you are. They awaken your identity, right? And from that place, action occurs, right? That's why if you've ever watched, like, uh, The Braveheart and everything is like, ah, you know, it's like whatever. There's movies to where the speech is rousing. You're like, ah, I want to go take land or take back whatever it is, right? That's what preachers do. They speak to the core of our identity, and, um, and, they, and they do that. Now, teaching is, is a bit different because the goal is still transformation, but instead of transformation through inspiration, it's transformation through information, right? And so when I was uh, coming here and I was kind of spending time in prayer and everything, I was like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? I felt like he was like, hey, bring a teaching because their community is unique. So you guys exist under the shadow of an apostolic covering and an apostolic leadership, right? And the interesting thing about that is that means that your, exist, your expression as the ecclesia, as the church, is to go out and take territory. And any time you have to do warfare, it's strategy that is the most powerful thing of all. That's why you guys sit, sit under such strategic leadership. That's why the way you've engaged the culture and the context around you has been very strategic. So I felt like the Lord was saying primarily, hey, bring a teaching. Now, Preaching may seep in here and there, but, but, but mostly it's going to be a teaching. Why do I spend so much time just kind of talking about this? I did it because uh, when you listen to preaching, you listen with your heart. You open your heart and you let them speak directly into your heart and awaken something in you. When it's teaching, your heart is still open, but there is, it's through your mind. You engage with your mind and you let the transformed mind then inform the heart specifically. 
So I don't want, I want to set you up to where it's like, oh, he black, so he's going to preach, and over here I'm teaching. Because you guys will be like, man, when's he going to get to the good stuff and everything? No, this is going to be more of teaching. So I want you to get your notes. I'm going to give you tangible things for you to take home when it comes to all of those things. Now, one more thing, and then we're going to jump into this. I would love to introduce you guys to the bestest thing that ever happened to me. That is my wife, uh, Pam. Everybody say, hey, Pam. <laughs> Woo! Your boy's got game, don't he? Yo, I got no game. Listen, that was an arranged marriage. Not the African arranged marriage. That, that means, like, she arranges everything in our marriage, and I just do exactly <laughs> what I'm told. But I, I love her. She is... Um, an ER nurse, that literally means she saves the world by day, and then she takes care of me the rest um, of what it is. Listen, that woman right there, you see how she's laughing? That's how she is 99.9% of the time. And 99.9% of the time, she's laughing at her own jokes. How many of you guys know someone like that? It's just, it's just like, it's like and, if, and, and if you don't start laughing, she will keep explaining the joke until she's already there. She's just waiting for you to kind of get there. I'm talking, she's an Enneagram 14 I, I promise you two Enneagram 7s crawled into a Megdala and died in there. She's early to everything, but late for everything. So basically, she'll walk in, and from here to the door, she is going to get the sole story of every single person she encounters. But I love her. She is awesome. And hopefully, you guys will meet her sometime because um, we are family. Now... You don't get pastors like this, you don't get a team like this, and you don't get a community like this without the type of leadership because tens follow tens, right? And so I just wanted to take time uh, right now um, to honor Pastor Darren, his heart, his vision, his lean, in a time and a place to where it's not as cool or as hype or as relevant to go after every promise for a community and a city and a generation that God has given them. But this man, from the first time we logged eyes and conversation and everything, he was one of those, I, I straight up got like a leader crush him. I was like, be cool, be cool, be cool. But I knew, I was like, yo, we're going to be running for a while with this guy. But um, so I just wanted you guys to do something. Could you just do something? Could we just stand and honor the yes and the leadership of this man of God? And wherever he is, I know he's going to sense it in the spirit. But can we just, uh, there we go. Amen. Pastor Darren, if you ever watch this, it is such an honor for me to be standing here with your community. I love you. I appreciate you. And God bless you and strengthen your arms. I ask for one thing for you, and that is not a lighter load, but broader shoulders for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen. Here's what we're going to do before you guys sit down. We're going to read our scripture, and then towards the end, the last verse, I want us to read together family style, whatever the California... Uh, version of eating together big giant sides is and then we're going to say a quick prayer and we're going to jump into the conversation we're reading from Matthew 17 verse 14 to 20 I will read the first part and then when we get to the end we are going to finish it right you guys ready all right one two three let's go and when they had come to the multitude a man came to him kneeling down to him that's worship it's always the precursor for good things and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Thank God for leaders and parents who will not take no for an answer. Amen. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He said, faithless and perverse. Y'all got that? Yep. Hold it in your minds. He said, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. Come on, power. And the child was cured from that very hour. Right Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why are we a part of the fail academy? Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. Because of your what? Unbelief. Because of your what? Unbelief. Because of your what? They did not have a power problem. They had a belief system problem, right? So he says, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as, not the size of, but as, which means there is a comprehensive amount of attributes, right, to where you can draw parallels between a mustard seed and the type of faith that is resilient in a generation. And if you want to geek out, that's an incredible way to spend a Friday afternoon or the rest of your life. But let's keep going. 
You will say to this mountain, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Okay, one, two, three, read this with me. And nothing will be impossible for you. That's in red, y'all. That means it's legit. And it says, the last one, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Father, we just come before you. We just quiet our hearts and our minds before you and we say one thing and one thing only. Which is, Holy Spirit, come. Come, blessed teacher. Come and pull down every wall, Father. Twist every framework. Make us in the image of the Son of God. Come and teach us, Father. And we say, Holy Spirit, you are the CEO of this conversation and this meeting. And towards the end of it, may your people come and have an encounter, not with words, Lord God, not with ideas, not concepts, but with the saving power of the word of God. And Lord, I just come before and I pray that you'd use these lips of clay. Father, may the counsel of heaven find perfect expression through these lips of clay. May it encounter hearts who, mixed with faith, it will cause profiting in their lives. So I bless you and I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. High five the person next to you and say, let's roll. And you may be seated. Listen, so... The title of my conversation, and I call it conversation because that's what I feel like. I feel like we're family, right? We are family. So because we're family, I feel like I just want to have a conversation to a people who have been tasked by the spirit and the power of God to go out there and do the impossible. I love the fact that of every religion, of every framework, of every psychology or every philosophy out there, we are the one relationship, religion, whatever you call it, that has been given not just an option, but an invitation into the impossible. We have been told by Jesus, the unexaggerating one, in the words of Red, that if you are living a life which is divorced from the supernatural, then you are not cashing in on all your benefits, and therefore you are living less than. The very ethos of this Bible and this scripture and the kingdom speaks to the fact that when we choose to take the one talent that he has given us and bury it, right, who is always impoverished are the people around us and not necessarily us. If it was about us, then there would not be a reckoning, but it's about them through us. And that's why the Lord has invited us, the people made in his image, the people that he redeemed by the blood of his son, to step into the fullness of the identity and to do the works of God. In red, that means it's no cap. It says the things that I do, those who believe, will do even greater works than these because I go to the Father. What's that got to do with it? I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask him and the thing that came on me that enabled me to put on a Punisher t-shirt and go hardcore on the, the, the forces of darkness, I'm going to put it on you and you and you and you and you and that is my strategy for the ends of the earth. And because of that, he's not out there watching news and worried about the Muslims and everything and it's like, no, he's just like, I put my light on the inside of them. Now him and the great cloud of witnesses, right? Hebrews 11, this incredible almanac of the people of faith. And he says towards the end, they did all these things. I mean, they subdued kingdoms, right? Quenched the violence of fire. Out of weakness were made strong. Turned to flight the armies of aliens. But at the end of that, it says they did not receive everything because God had something far better than us. So he takes all of them and he puts them on this bullpen overlooking earth right now. And they're excited. He says they're a crowd of witnesses. Why are they so excited? Because they want to see, they're like, they understand that in the Old Testament, when you touch the glory of God, you would die. You had to come slathered in blood, completely pure of anything. And even then, there were casualties to beholding the beauty of God. Then all of a sudden, they get this news flash in heaven, and it's like, basically, do you know that? The Shekinah glory, the one that killed Uzzah, after the sacrifice of my son, that same power and glory and grace is going to dwell on the inside of human vessels. Can you imagine? So the reason they're appearing over the balconies of heaven right now, they're like, they have the spirit of the creative one on the inside of them. What songs are they going to write? 
oh, they have the spirit of God, the Shekinah, that dwelling on the inside of them. What are they going to do with cities? What are they going to do that? And the only thing stopping you from a life to where they go over there and be like, ooh, this season of earth 2022 is fire is if you believe in the lie of a lesser identity than that which he died to redeem for you. So what I'm here to do is I am here to give you guys an encouragement. Everybody say encouragement. Now, the etymology of that word is pretty interesting because it's a portmanteau. It's a, it's, it's, it's a mix of two words, and that is engage and courage. So what I'm here to do is I'm here to engage the courage that's on the inside of you, to speak to you, to that which is on the inside. Where did I get this courage? Great question. Gideon asked the same question. But when God came and he says, hey, God is with you, mighty men of valor, he put that valor on the inside of him. And now on this side of the cross, he takes his spirit without measure and he plays it on the inside of us. And now everything that was true about Jesus is fundamentally true about us. And everything that the scripture says about Jesus, is, it says absolutely without cap about us. And now all we need to do is lean into that which is true about who we are. And the beautiful thing about that is you didn't earn it. You don't have to sustain it. All you have to do is to be engrafted into the belief system of a complete Christ and the finished work on the cross, and then you begin to walk this out. How God took Jesus Christ of Nazareth and anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with what? Power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Ooh, come on, somebody. For this reason was the Son of Man made manifest that he would go and destroy the work of darkness. So many times we look for a pulpit or a context and everything to where it was never supposed to be like that. He filled you and he said, on your journey, that's what Jesus would do. He would go and spend time, fill himself so much with what was true from the Father about him. And then when he stepped out, he would see someone, he would be like, boom, the kingdom is here. He would see someone who's dead. He's like, he would walk into funerals like, okay, come up and everything. Why? Because that's the type of life that he wants us to live. And the truth of the matter is that's the only life that is going to mean anything in this generation. I never used to be radical about this. Because for 20 years, 20 years, and it was just one look, I was hooked on the most debilitating pornographic addiction ever, ever. And here's the thing, about, and I'm not talking about clinical, like, uh, pornography. It's like, okay, it's kind of classy and everything. Because I, I'm, 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 I'm serious. Because one thing about perversion is it always, it's never about your sexuality. It's about shame and be, be taking you so far from the truest expression that you are to where you disqualify yourself from everything that is true to where when you look at the mirror of this word, you no longer see the image of God, the Imago Dei on the inside of you. All you see is shame and condemnation and that's what it's all about. So it may start with something cute and clean or it's like whatever or sexy, but in the end, you'll be watching the most debilitating things and everything and what it does is it keeps you shackled under shame and because we are people that cannot exist within a space of cognitive dissonance. So then we try to build all these specific frameworks to excuse away our powerless and lack of life and joy and everything. So I had told myself that that is my personality and I'm chill and I'm all these things. Until one day I read this Bible with a different framework, not putting my perspective on it, but I read it with a different framework and I tried to be as objective as I was. And I was like, yo, this Jesus dude was wild. Every single person that's ever been filled by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Oh my goodness. Words like this. Listen to this phrase. And I want you, if I were to say everybody, I'm not going to do this because we're dignified. But if I were to say everybody, stand up. And I want you to act out this phrase. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. None of you guys would be sitting down and be like, this is joy inexpressible and full of glory. No. Do you understand that Jesus would go into churches, right, to people's fish fries and flip over tables? And they never said he's crazy or whatever. It says they understood that zeal for his father's house is what has consumed him. 
So I may be a little, man, I'm supposed to be teaching y'all, but I'm telling you something about it. That's why when you guys were singing that song, it's like, and on and on and on and on it goes and his love. And I was like, do you know if you're addicted to pornography, how many times you disqualify yourself from his love through actions? But on and on and on and on it would come and it would overwhelm everything about who I am. Listen, when you step into the full identity of who you are, even worship songs aren't just like something, ooh, it becomes this incredible encounter with you and the Holy Spirit to where it's like us, our dynamic, our, we're singing it and other people are responding to it. Why? Because we were created into this perichoresis, this divine dance, right, of deference and romance between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and he creates us in his image and according to his likeness and he brings us into what that is. So anything less than ecstasy and bliss is living below. Now, I'm not talking about an easy life. On the contrary, right? We joy in our persecutions because they're coming because everything about who you are is counter to the culture that he has sent you into. You are light in darkness. That means you will never belong. And if you belong and if you're fitting in, it means there's something about your luminance or your lumens that has been compromised. Oh, but that's why we show up and everything with a joy to where they're like, I don't know what you're taking, bro. Can I get that? I'm like, do you know what it is? It's this right here. It's this. It is this. We carry it on the inside of us at a time when our world and our generation needed. Do you know how much we needed peace in 2020? And peace is a third of the kingdom that defines us and that we exist in. Joy. How many times genuinely laughed in did people genuinely laugh in 2020? Man, we should have found a way to market joy and make it like the next Bitcoin or whatever because it was a rare commodity. But it is a third of the kingdom of God that exists on the inside of you. Right now, we were also disenfranchised by our leadership in any context, right? From the top to down and everything. But the spirit of wisdom, exists on the inside of us to where we can step into any and every context and know exactly what to do and how to do it. The spirit of counsel to where there should never be any of our friends taking their own lives. All they need to know is they can pick up the phone. Do you understand that the divine strategy of God dwells on the inside of you and it's just waiting for you to believe that it is and give it full expression? Listen to me. You were born for the impossible. That was the lure that the father lured me in with. Because see, think about it. In any other philosophy, any other religion, you will never find 66 book of the most ordinary people called into context bigger than themselves. And they bundle through and everything. And now they're called the heroes of our faith. Yeah, yeah. This God believes in us. It's not illogical to believe when he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then you read Hebrews 11 and it says, Hebrews 11 is like, hey, I'm running on African time here. I don't have time to talk about Barak and all these other people who did all these things. 66 book full of countless characters, people like you and me. I'm not even talking about the external things like the technology that they have and everything. I'm not talking about that. They just tapped into the reality of the truth that God loves them and he's got a purpose for them and they turned the world upside down. Oh man, we are called to do the impossible. For, I don't know if I gave you up, but the title of my sermon is Umbuso. Everybody say Umbuso. And Umbuso is the Zulu word for kingdom. So when Pastor Darren was like, hey, come over here and share about the, the Holy Spirit and everything. And I was like, Whoo, what is it? Oh man. I cannot by speak about that which I have seen, that which we have known. And what that is, is the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the most powerful thing about it. Because the nature of the king becomes the culture and the ethos of that kingdom. Which means whatever is eternally true of him is true of us. And that he never steps into a space where darkness rules and he leaves it the exact same way. So Jesus, they asked me, he says, hey, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, then you know the kingdom of God is upon you. Say the kingdom is not, it's, it's not words, but it's power. This isn't just like a whacked out um, uh, charismatic theology or whatever. It's in red, guys. It is right here. It is your and your and your and your and your inheritance. And I, I, one of my biggest FOMO fears, right? My little African, my, one of the biggest fears is to not take this power and not do anything with it. And for eternity, 
I'm over there avoiding David's table in the cafeteria of heaven and everybody else because they're going like, this guy had the power, had the Shekinah dwelling, the same thing that I wanted to be around in the ark and I couldn't because I wasn't a priest. That thing dwelt on the inside of him. It slept with him and all he did was watch a bunch of Netflix and tweet a lot of good hashtags. Are you kidding me? Do you guys understand what we've been blessed with? what we've been entrusted with. See, that's why every parable where Jesus talks about that, whenever there's a day of reckoning, he gives freely because he's a good whatever. He covers the grace and everything. But when he comes back, there's a wrath and a frustration to the one servant who didn't say that. Listen to me. Listen to what he said. He said, you wicked servant. He said, you keeping those gifts you lied to yourself is wickedness because you knew there were people cutting. You knew there were people strung out on drugs. You knew this because our generation celebrates it. None of it is hidden. You knew that. And you had the answer on the inside of you. And you never even explored it. You never thought to take the truth, the efficacy of my word, and the integrity of my promise, and to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you took that knowing the power, the peace, and everything, and you decided to fall to, to form like a little commune to where every single person, you guys, every Sunday you got together and you experienced it by yourself when right there on Cerritos, people were shooting up and dying. This is not a condemnation message. This is a conviction message. You know what conviction means? It's when you convince someone, when you shake them up, and you're like, hey, get back over there in the game. Every superhero movie that you've ever watched, every Disney, Disney has made billions and gazillions out of this to where people have a moment to where they're shaken into their identity and they go out and they do everything. How many of you guys know how frustrating it is when there's someone who just cannot get their powers right or their identity right and there's people dying around. You know how you watch those types of movies. So they finally get it at the end. I'm like, dude, we could have been doing this already. You know what I'm talking about? Get it right. And I feel like that's what those guys are saying over there. They're like, man, please don't let this be the type of show to where in the last five minutes of the season finale is when this person gets it. No, we got to get it now when we step out of here. Listen, so how do we access a life of the supernatural and the impossible? The first thing I want to do is to disenfranchise you of the notion that it is something that you earn, that you got to pray more. Because this conversation is about prayer, is about leaning into the impossible and everything. But it's not, prayer isn't how you get it. That would be works. But once you get it, I'm not talking about get it, I can't. I'm talking about once you get it right here. Because the pivotal statement is when you come to yourself. That's what happened with the prodigal. He's out there partying with pigs and prostitutes and having a blast until he runs out of money. And then the moment you run out of money, Vegas stops smiling at you. You know what I'm talking about? So he's like, hey, I'm going to go back to my... It says he came to himself. That he was a son. And so he enters into this weird space to where he says, hey, this, I will go back to my father and become a servant. And I feel like that's where a lot of us in the church are stuck right now. So we know we're sons, but we just want to serve him. What he's saying is like, no, it stops at son, period. And the rest of it is just you living out your identity. That's why Jesus, before he had or could have done anything, he says, hey, he stepped into it and everything. He says, in that context, in that cultural context, the power of attorney that people or fathers would give their sons to where no sons can now conduct business on behalf of the fathers, you'd take them to the gates of the city where the government was and you'd say, this is my beloved son. He hasn't been stealing money. He's been faithful and everything. I am very well pleased in him. Hear him. So that means from then on, the father doesn't have to come there and do work. When they see the son, they would listen to him because the power of attorney was transferred to him then. But in that context, you had to earn that, right? Just in everything else, you had to show that you're responsible. So Jesus comes with this radical reversal and he says, and, and God says, before he has done anything at all, he fully gives them the power of attorney. He says, I'm pleased in him before he does anything. And from that place, he labors abundantly above every single one of them. Yet not him, but the grace and the spirit of God that was on the inside of him. He's got that same spirit without measure, just chomping at the bits to go at your context. Go at your context. And you're over here and you're like, Pastor, can you pray for me? What can I do? And everything. And it's like, I understand all of those things. But at the end of the day, it does not change the fact that when you stand before God, he's going to say, what did I not give you? 
what did you not have? You had teachers, especially in this generation, you had the internet, like what did you not have? How much more could I have convinced you of my love for you? I did it in real time. From the parking spots to the healing, to the answered prayers. Jesus says, ask me that my pr- I would answer your prayers so your joy would be full. Because right, what is joy? The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we find answered prayers, we are joyful and emboldened to go out there and call other people to it. What did I not give to you? Yeah. Man, I promise, man, when I was planning this, I still remember during worship and everything, I was looking at my notes and everything. I was like, Holy Spirit, we're not going to get to any of these, are we? And he was like, <laughs> no, we're not. But I just really, nothing shall be impossible to you. I like what Aristotle says. He says a probable impossibility is preferable to an improbable possibility. That means within our human framework exist two parallels, impossibility and improbability. Something that's impossible can never happen. Something that's improbable is possible, but will probably never happen. Me winning the lottery is probably never going to happen, but it's possible. Me raising the dead is impossible, but under his grace, it's probable. So I love that. I like what Sam Seaborn says. He says, the impossible is preferable to the improbable. Here, to illustrate this... um, Let let me illustrate the difference between the impossible and the improbable. I'm going to give you a statement right now. And this statement is an impossible statement. And then I'm going to add four words. And it's going to change from being impossible to improbable. Here it is. So this morning, I saw a guy with a tail. How many of you guys are like, impossible? Impossible, right? Guy with a tail. Impossible. Here's a qualifying statement. I was at Walmart. How many of you guys like right there were just like, okay, that's probably true and everything. Listen, I don't know if you guys, I know you guys look like Target, Target people and everything, but Walmart is gehito, y'all. You see, the moment I said I was at Walmart, you guys could even imagine the guy, right? He's probably wearing house slippers, pajamas in the middle of the day, and his tail is just kind of waking and everything. But, but no, that's one of those things to wait. Listen. That's the difference between what's improbable and what's impossible. And what Aristotle and everybody else say, they essentially say that there's something nascent on the inside of us which leans towards the impossible. It's beautiful. It's attractive to us because of the DNA of who we are. We came from our hailing context, right? Within the helix of our DNA is impossibility itself. So we always um, lean into that. But Jesus says something pretty interesting. He says, hey, the reason they were like, okay, we got it. We drank the Kool-Aid. We're good, Jesus. Let's go. Let's do this. And they go out there with their zeal and everything. They start failing, right? So they come back to him after Jesus had showed them the way it's done, right? Like a good Jedi master and everything. He shows them how it's done. So they come to him at night and they're like, hey, they don't accuse him of that being a lie. They don't say, man, what you told us just humiliated. No, they said, why could we not do it? So they knew it was possible because they had seen it. So like, then why is it that that which was impossible is now improbable to us? And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, it's because of your unbelief. He says, because of your what? Your unbelief. He doesn't say it's because of your sin. He says it's because of your unbelief. Because what he was saying is that you not tapping into the supernatural is simply because there's something wrong with your belief system. Do you understand that the reason that we exist in a compromised state of existence right now is because of our belief system? Behaviors only manifest and replicate that which we fundamentally and truly believe in and of ourselves. And the rest is we're just running scripts. Right? If you think about it, right, the best way to look at this If God is as smart as he is, right? You can look at the way he answered the problem as a way to diagnose the problem. For example, if Pastor Brian goes up here and is like, we have a problem, and we see a plumber walking down these aisles, we know we've got a plumbing problem, right? 
If it's someone that shows up looking like Super Mario and everything, I was like, okay, we definitely got a plumbing problem. There's a whole kingdom under there. You know what I'm saying? If an electrician walks in here, we're just like, okay, we have an electric problem. Why? Because the remedy clues us to what's wrong. So now look at how Jesus manifested himself to earth. He manifested himself not as the eros of God because we had an intimacy problem. He didn't manifest himself as the pathos of God because we needed a hug. He manifested as the logos of God because it was our mind that was messed up. It was our identity. We had bought into the wrong belief system. That's why when you look at it, sin, right? Not sins. I'm talking about sin. When you look at sin where it's first presented in the book of Genesis, he says, hey, listen, right now, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is a noun, which means person, place, or thing. That means God desires and everything. And what sin was essentially was offering a false identity. And he says, if you tap into that false identity, the causality to that will be you slaying your brother. And since then, when we ate of that, we have all subscribed to a compromised perspective on who we essentially are in him and through him. And so that's why he sends the logic of God to come and fully manifest itself in every context to say, okay, when I see sickness, what is the logical thing to do it is to heal that sickness. And then he turns around and then gives you that same spirit. So when you walk into work and someone is sneezing, you don't hand them a mask. You're like, here, let me get that in the name of Jesus because that's the most logical thing to do. That's why Paul says things like, hey, when you offer yourselves as living sacrifice, it's the reasonable thing to do. But most importantly, that's why the antidote to your sin right now is what? Metanoia. The agent renewing your mind, repentance. The agent for your transformation is the renewing of your mind. Because Jesus came to essentially speak about this. So what was compromised about their belief system? And this is where I want to land this. So what was compromised uh, fundamentally about their belief system was that their understanding of what was impossible was still Russian roulette or Jewish roulette or wherever they are, right? It was hit or miss. It was one of those. It's like, it works when it works. I don't know why it doesn't when it doesn't. So that's why when they said your disciples couldn't cast them out, his indictment on them was, you wicked and what? Faithless. He said, you faithless and perverse generation, right? That was the diss. You have no faith. What does perverse mean? Common, right? So he said, because you're faithless, you have now become common. It's the same indictment in the Old Testament, right? Where he says, hey, listen, ye are like gods, but you will die like mere men. The context behind that is like everything is out of whack. The foundations are all misplaced. I have put you, filled you with my spirit, right, as little G gods, and said, hey, in that situation, you get to be a proxy for the kingdom of heaven. But because you haven't done that, the world around, it's the same thing that's in, uh, in, in Ephesians 8, to where creation itself, right, is throwing up a fit because it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons. I have this African crude way of looking at what's happening in the world. When something is happening, right, whether it's a tornado, an earthquake, whatever, I don't want to take that lightly. But my first thought is always like, where are the sons? The Lord himself could not touch Abraham's jurisdiction without first going into a negotiation with Adam. Oh, I'm sorry, with, uh, with Abraham. He had to come and be like, okay, man, your people are bad news and you know it and everything, so can I take him out? Well, what if you find this? He had to negotiate. Why? Because that's a son. That's someone who understands that they have the spirit of God and therefore they have jurisdiction around the elements around them. That was the compromised belief system. So this is what Jesus says, right? He says, hey, I'm telling you there's something that happens to where if you do it, even the impossible will become possible to you and nothing. You can speak to mountains. You can literally speak words to matter and it will shift. Why was he saying that? Because he had done it in creation. He knew it was in them. They had the perfect blueprint for it. So he's talking to them about this. How do we know this? Jesus, out of anger, had literally just cursed a tree, which was out of season because he was, and it happened that way. And it died. So basically, he's saying right here, he's like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not selling you a bunch of smoke and mirrors. I'm telling you that your words have enough power to where they can shift matter, shift situations, shift circumstances. That's what prayer is. So when we agree with what is true about the jurisdiction and the power of heaven, 
And we speak it over a situation. He says, hey, listen, if you have the faith of a master, see, that's resilient. You can say all these things and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this type does not go out except through prayer and fasting. You guys remember that? This type of what? This type of what? This type of demon. That's what I was taught as well, right? So that is what you call, it's ultimately true when you have a specific type of faith, demons will always be subject to you. But remember, his indictment wasn't demons. If demon was the subject that enabled them to not do the, the impossible, he wouldn't have come up and say, you faithless generation. They'd be like, ooh, boys, we got a wild one here. Listen, this is a crazy demon. No, it wasn't a demon. He came and rebuked their belief system, right? That was the subject. And then he goes on to talk about mountains. And then he goes on to talk about this. He has far left the demon because the demon is inconsequential to their unbelief. So in the end, he says, however, this kind does not come out except through prayer and fasting. What is he talking about? This unbelief. Exactly. Oh, y'all are smart. Pastor Darren, let's go. He was like, listen, this type of unbelief does not come out except through prayer and fasting. So right here in the next uh, five minutes, <laughs> help us, Lord. But in the next five minutes, let me tell you why. I'm not going to make eye contact with Pastor Brian over there, but now I'm just kidding. He said I can go over just a little bit, just, just a little bit. Ooh, let's go, African church. Hey, go ahead and Uber eat something. We're going to be here for a minute. No, I'm kidding. But listen, it's this type of unbelief. Because it says, if you believe, how many times in the gospel did Jesus say, if you believe, all things are possible. May it be to you according to your what? To your faith. It's never the thing that can or cannot happen is never the subject. The thing is, it's our faith. That was a, does our faith believe that we are seated in heaven places in him? That when we step into the presence of the Father, clothed with the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ, he sees nothing but his Father. Do you understand that that is the old shadow parallel of what happened with the two brothers? That the younger brother wanted the blessing of the older brother. And so in order for him to take it, he had to put on his older brother, then step into his presence of the Father. And since the Father could see distinction, but when he smelt his son... Come on, somebody, on him. Then something came out of him and he blessed him. And so because he was covered with his brother, he was blessed. That's why Paul says, put on Christ. That's why the full armor is literally putting on Christ. Right? Because when we're clothed with the righteousness and the identity of Christ and we enter into the presence of his father like Esther, the Old Testament is story after story, shadow after shadow to this one reality that we exist in today that clothed with the righteousness of his son, we can come into the presence of his father. And there's no good thing that the father would hold from us because we're righteous. Not because we do righteous things, but because we're clothed with the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The only thing that is said, can satisfy God is God. That's why it's such good news that, hey, he raised us up and he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Far above all these other things. Colossians 1 geeks out over all these things. So we're just chilling. We're pickled in the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus. And this belief system right here seeks to take you because nobody can pluck us out of that place in Jesus. The only thing that can take us is subscribing to a lesser philosophy and belief system. So he says, you cannot do these things because your belief system is compromised. However, this type of unbelief only goes out through prayer and fasting. So here, let me tell you what it is about prayer and fasting. I like this, um, prayer and fasting. Prayer is the language of creation, but fasting is the womb thereof. Through prayer, we speak. When God said, let there be, right? That was a prayer of sorts, and there was. But in our context, fasting is the womb thereof. I like this. Prayer is to spirit. Here's the scripture. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Everybody say spirit. spirit. So prayer is to spirit what fasting is to the soul. So in order for us to understand everything about the kingdom, let me jump in here. We need to understand this fundamental fact, and it will help us. It is the fact that man is a tripartite or three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. 
three parts. Those are distinct entities, right, within man. Or faculties. Let me call them faculties, for example, right? If I take cologne or a spray and I spray it in my ear, first of all, that's weird. Man, that's a horrible analogy. Now I can't get that out of my head. But anyways, do you know that it's only when I match it to my nose that's that, to when the, that stimuli and my receptors that I get something, I get a reaction. So in the same way, when it comes to a lot of these things, through the power of the Holy Spirit, always ask him, always look at the rhetoric, always look at the nuance and the context of what he's talking about. Is this, has, does this have to do with the soul? Does this have to do with the spirit or does this have to do with the body? The spirit is that which comes from God and looks like God. That's our spirit. Our soul is the center of our self-consciousness, our mind, our will, emotions, and all those things. And our body is this, right? Come on, this melanin magnificence that you guys see in front of you. Hey, you know what I'm saying? So that's how man is. So when it comes to prayer, prayer is anytime you see the words prayer, you'll never see prayer and soul in the same sentence. Because prayer is for the spirit. Prayer is communication. Your spirit and God are one. Therefore, they communicate on the same level. That's why prayer is unto spirit. But fasting has to do with the soul. This is that one scripture that I read. It says, um, David says, when I humbled my soul with fasting, Psalms 35 verse 13. What is the soul? It's your mind, your will, and emotions. So fasting has to do with your mind, your will, and emotions. So the reason that prayer and fasting work in tandem, because in order for your prayers to not be answered, it means you have a belief problem. Is there something about your circumstances or your past that is hindering you from believing that that which you're speaking is right. So what's stopping your spirit from praying prayers of faith is the fact that your soul is in a place of ascendance and it basically undercuts whatever your prayer is. So what happens is when we fast, fasting blitzes, it runs interference, it takes your soul, like humbles, like what the scripture says, brings it to a place of recedence, and then that way your spirit can be a place of ascendance, and when it speaks to God, there is no doubt in between because your soul, the center of your self-consciousness, your mind, your will, your emotion, your personality, everything that makes you believe something is impossible. We've seen this so many times. I know every single person in this room has no problem believing that God heals, right? But when it's you that's sick, or when it's your daughter or your son, or when it's someone that you're looking at and it looks like they've never walked and their legs are all gnarled up and everything, you know what happens? The soul begins to extrapolate and say, that can't do that. I know a thousand and one medical reasons why that's impossible. And if you have to pray for someone like that and your soul is compromised, even the prayer has no faith. It's got no power. But when you're fasted and your soul is in subservience to your spirit, then everything that you speak is the language of faith. And the beautiful thing, I don't have time to geek over this. Um, can I get the band up here and everything? But the beautiful thing about fasting is then it's got all these incredible benefits. It's got all these incredible benefits to the body. Maybe one day I'll kind of go into that. But what happens, what God did with that and how he designed the body to respond to fasting and how when you fast, autophagy happens and it burns up all these in, in, in impurities in your body, how your telomeres get renewed and how you get like new brain cells and everything, how the body regenerates. It's incredible what God does. And I geek out over the science of God. But I think the most important thing to understand is that if God has called you to a life of the impossible, it means God has called you to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Remember, this isn't like a Harry Potter world to where I have to trade my fasting and my praying so God can see it and be like, okay, you've prayed enough. Okay, your fasting bucket is already full. Let's go. No. It means it just places you into a place of receptivity. We see that in the Gospels, right? Anna served the Lord through prayer and fastings, and the Holy Spirit was able to tell her the exact moment that the Messiah would be in there. It had nothing to do with them earning that, it had everything to do with them being positioned to where their mind was not doubting. We see this even with, uh, I mean, it's the same thing that's um, true with, uh, we, we, see, we see this so many times. So we never do anything to get anything from God. Because we're known, seen, loved, and accepted by him, then we get to do these things. The rest of it is just strategy. Jesus never had an identity crisis. 
but no one worked harder than Jesus. But he was working from that place of acceptance. Paul says, I pray more than all you guys. I don't think Paul had an identity problem. He just knew that from this place, I get to fast. That's why when you think about it, even uh, when it talks about, hey, whoever purifies themselves from this will be a vessel of honor. What is it talking about? It's talking about the fact that we go out there and we let certain things influence the way that we believe, and then it hamstrings our ability to believe in the impossible and the supernatural. And the antidote to this, how we get skin in the game, is we say, Father, because we're loved, because we're sin, because we're accepted. And you guys can just kind of, uh, whatever's in the spirit, just kind of uh, play it soft and we'll ramp into it. But whatever, what, whatever that thing is. Man, I, I feel like hitting this one more time. I don't know why the Holy Spirit is saying this, but I'm married to Pam. I didn't have to take out the trash. I didn't have to buy flowers. I didn't have to do any of those things for her to marry me even though it really helped, right? But the moment we got into covenant, if I stop doing those things, it doesn't make me unmarried. It just makes me a sorry husband. It doesn't change the core aspect of my identity. It just changes my perspective and my confidence within that realm. So if you're in Jesus right now, it's not a repentance issue, or rather, it is, but what I'm saying is it's not you saying, hey, I need you to save me once more in everything. It's you saying, God, I want you to elevate, to bring my thought process and my perspective up to this place. It's about you embracing the mantle of the supernatural that's on the inside of you and doing what Jesus did, which he would pray before ministry, spend a whole day of ministry and pray after. Cornelius. Do you know that Cornelius would give alms, physical things? You were talking about this, Pastor Brian, generosity. But God saw his generosity as an act of worship and entrusted him with something spiritual. But what else was he doing? He was fasting. His, his, his prayers and his fastings were doing this. And that whole narrative is like Peter's on the roof in fasting that he sees this. It says before the disciples and everything, they were like, hey, you know what? We're going to fast. And we're going to find out who we want to take over these things. Listen, this isn't just something that's like if you fast. It's not something that's peripheral, especially for this particular community. God is calling every single one of you to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Because he has given you an assignment that is impossible. And your greatest enemy will be that which is on the inside of your very mind. And he's calling you to lay down your mind through fasting, to let his Holy Spirit pray through you the infallible truth of what God wants to do in your specific place and community. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.